can be a desolate and draining place. It can steal our hope and leave us running on empty. But then, then there are those people who live in the same world, yet they're hopeful. They have what seems to be an unshakable confidence in God. In spite of what they've seen, in spite of what they've experienced, in spite of what's happening around them. They don't have amazing beliefs. They have amazing faith. So where does that come from? And how do we get it? How do we rediscover and refuel our faith in a world that's running on empty? I love this series that we've been reflecting on over the last few months. It's a series that really is asked the simple question that we've heard in the video that just played. How do we live with a faith that's full in a world that can feel and sometimes be so empty? But how do we live with a faith that's full with hope and joy and peace when the headlines look so horrible? When there's so much uncertainty and so much confusion about life and our, our future. And that the idea of this series of being online only allowed us to be able to bring in some voices. And for those who have been able to track along, um, some of the messages last few weeks that we've been able to hear from Andy Stanley were so powerful and so practical and helping equip us to be people who are faithful. And what I want to do today is um, kind of give you a little bit of a shorter devotional thought of how we practically, as we wrap up this series, as we begin our transition back to in-person weekly gatherings um, with all of the uncertainty that still remains in our culture and in our country and our communities, how do we be people who are faithful? And to do that, I want to actually take you to a passage, one that... Um, I've been thinking a lot about over the last month. It's a passage that we stumbled across in the course of um, studying in our Tim series that as a church for the last four Wednesday nights, um, we've been working through what's called Tim, kind of the last word, this idea that there was a letter written to a man named Timothy who was Paul, the apostles, kind of protege, but really he was almost like a son to Paul. And that the last letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, we call in the Bible, we call that letter the book of 2 Timothy. It was the second letter, but it was the last letter Paul wrote while he was on death row waiting his execution. And in the course of that letter, what I love about it, and the reason we studied it for four weeks on Wednesday nights here, was because there's so much richness It's so deeply personal, and there's some really kind of profound, overwhelming themes that I think in this season of life was especially helpful. And in this season of life, there was one sentence that I thought really stood out as we think about this idea of faithful, and it's that sentence that I want to share with you that we studied through this idea of Tim that really speaks to the the way, but also some of the barriers that get in the way of us being people who are faithful. At the very beginning of this letter, while Paul is 
sitting in prison, chained. He's writing to Timothy with such a deep concern for Timothy and Timothy's life that he, throughout the four chapters, you hear it over and over again. Paul has a desire for Timothy to live his life well, and that is ultimately what he's trying to set up through his letter. And at the very beginning of the letter, in the opening kind of section, Paul gives Timothy some advice that I think is essential if you and I are going to be people who live faithful. Now, maybe this year you look at your faith and it's not been faithful, it's felt faith empty. Or maybe you've been concerned about your kids with them not physically being able to be a part of church. And this is a passage, I think, that gives us insight into so many different areas of our life where oftentimes we see struggle and where we see strength. There is a principle that's actually influencing and guiding and illuminates both. So here's the sentence. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That these two statements that Paul writes can speak to you and to me today. The first thing I want to highlight is at the very beginning of this where he says, I remind to you, remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So I think there are two barriers uh, that oftentimes get in the way of us living out our faith and experiencing the faithfulness. Uh, one is a principle that is at work, and one is often a paradigm about faith that we've misunderstood and causes us uh, to kind of further drift from faithful to faith empty. That first principle is embedded inside of this passage. That what's interesting is if you only stopped here and you ignored the second half of the statement, for this reason I remind you to fan in the flame, you would hear in there a call to action. But if you read, for this reason, I remind you, the gift of God, you're, you don't hear a call to action. But when you take them together, what you see is the tension that's often at work, the dynamic that's at play when it comes to a faithful life. That God has given us a gift. Paul is saying, Timothy, remember, God gave you this gift. But this is not a gift that you can sit passively with. This is a gift that you have to respond to with action. You see, I think that oftentimes in the Christian life, when we're working through or we're trying to grow in our faith dynamics and we're praying to God and we're asking God for certain things, that one of the things that gets in the way is that we pray for God to give us trees, metaphorically speaking. God, I want a strong marriage. God, I want to be a, a wise parent. God, I want financially to be like, like in a place of strength to not be riddled with debt. God, I want my faith to be alive and vibrant and full of confidence and courage. And I want to kind of navigate and go through seasons with victory. That we pray for those things. And then we don't see those things arrive. We pray for those trees, those fully grown 
freedom or dynamic, whatever, fill in the blank. That's the tree, God, I want. And then over time, we get disappointed because we pray for those things and we don't see those things. But see, I believe that oftentimes God's response is to give us the tree in seed form. That when we pray for trees, God often gives us the seeds for them, which is what we see here. God has given Timothy this precious, special gift to be a leader to influence and to impact the church, especially in light of Paul transitioning out and Timothy being one of the primary leaders in the early church. But yet, it's not a fully grown tree. It's, it's a seed. That's why he's called to fan it into flame, to take the action, to nurture it, to diligently discipline, habitually work towards that and seeing it grow. That maybe for some of us, We've struggled with addiction, and we, we become a Christian, and we start praying, God give, me, God, give me freedom from my addiction, and then we still struggle, and we think, well, God hasn't heard my prayer, God, or faith doesn't work, and what Paul is telling Timothy is that, no, faith does work when you work it out in faith, that for faith to work, you have to work in faith. And so maybe, yeah, you didn't wake up this morning no longer with a desire for the substance or the activity that you've been addicted to your entire life. But you woke up this morning with a desire to not have that addiction. You woke up this morning with a little bit of strength to say no. Maybe, maybe the desire didn't go away, but the strength to say no did come your way. And that nurturing and that moving in that strength step by step by step is how that seed becomes the tree. Maybe financially you're not riddled, maybe you're kind of overwhelmed in debt and you've made financial choices and you're like, God, I need you to work and move and provide and make a way. And maybe this morning you didn't win the lottery with the backs of millions. But is it possible that maybe the little bit of bonus you got this week or Maybe the tax credit that's been popping up in your bank account or maybe the way that you've been able to save a couple dollars here and there. Maybe that's the seed form of that tree of financial freedom. Are you being able to take that and begin to apply that towards the debt and move towards that? Maybe it's in that step of generosity, of moving towards sharing what you have instead of focusing on all you don't have. See, I think that oftentimes what gets in the way of us living a faithful life is this picture of what the faithful life looks like down the road and not what it looks like right now. And that you and I will never see that then if we don't step into that now. And Paul is saying that to Timothy. Fan it into flame, Timothy. Work it. Work it out. Yes, God has given it to you. But you've got to fan it. And you've got to let it grow so that you can go into the future that God intended for you when he gave you that gift. Because the life you and I want, the life you and I were created to live, has probably already been placed in our hands. 
And it's up to you and to me to respond to what God has already done by beginning to work it out. But we recognize this, right? This is, um, this is true about everything. Which is, I think, the second principle that's present in this passage that I want to point out. And it's simply this. That what Paul is saying to Timothy is we don't drift towards hot. We drift towards the cold. Why is he telling them to fan it into flame? Because the default of a, fa- of a flame is to die, not to grow. And he's saying, fan it into flame, because the default, you will never, ever drift into a flame. You're never, ever going to drift into a fire that's bigger, into a passion that's stronger, into a financial freedom that is freer, into relationships that are stronger, into a faith that is growing. You will never, ever drift into that. You never get to the end of the life or you never meet someone at the end of their life and you say, hey, what was your secret? And they were like, really, there wasn't one. I didn't set an alarm. I ate whatever I wanted to eat. I bought whatever I wanted to bought. And I just kind of, you know, went through the motions. Man, and I drifted into so many great things because of it. No. You don't drift into greatness. You move into it. You move into fullness. You drift into empty. And Paul wants Timothy to realize that unless you're working towards that, unless you're responding regularly to that gift of God, Timothy, you will drift towards the cold. You will move away from the very thing you want to move towards. That there is no faith that is a spectator's faith that's ever full. That showing up doesn't help you grow up. You can go to a Red Sox game, but it'll never make you a baseball player. You can go to Gillette, but it'll never make you a Patriots player. Showing up doesn't work. Stepping up does. Because we drift towards the cold, but we, wake, we work our way towards the hot. And it's our response. It's not all on us. And that's the beauty. That's the encouragement. I'm not telling you that it's just a, you know, like hustle and work hard and can't stop, won't stop, or whatever other meme you see flying around or people's hashtags. That's not what I'm saying to you. I'm not saying you hashtag your way into a full faith. This is a, this is a tension of God gives and we respond. God gives, we respond. God gives, we respond. I read an, um, an interview this past week with one of the Olympic marathon runners. And, and so they were talking to her and they're like, hey, you've now become one of the greatest marathon runners in the world. Um, what is it like to be someone who's a medal-winning marathon runner? Like, is it easier now? And she made this statement. I was like, oh, my goodness, that's so profound. She was like, it's not easier. I've just gotten faster. She was like, it's still as hard as it was when I first started running. The only thing that has changed is my body's gotten faster while my mind still struggles with the activity. I think in many times when we look at people who are so much further along, whether in their faith or whether it's in relationships or parenting or finances or fill in the blank, it's that they've gotten faster, not that it's gotten easier. 
And that for us to move towards the life that God has, that we have to embrace this tension of God is going to give as I take the step. And we see this throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament where people take steps and that's when things part. God fills up only the things that are empty. And so if we want to see God move, then I think oftentimes it begins with the first faith step to see that step of faith play out. And this is essential if we're going to be people who are faithful. But there's another dynamic that I think is also at work in this passage that's tied to this idea of drifting versus driving towards the heat. So this is the grove of tall trees. It's tucked away in Northern California in the Redwood Forest. You have to have a permit to be able to even walk to this spot because this is the spot where some of the world's largest, tallest trees stand. That surrounding this grove of tall trees where this man is sitting and looking up are numerous trees over 350 feet tall. These are massive structures. And yet what's fascinating, I think, isn't what you see above ground. It's what's happening underneath the ground that we can't see. You see, these redwoods, all growing to over 350 feet tall, what allows them to grow up is how their roots have grown down and intertwined with each other. See, what's underneath the ground, while the trees look separated in this circular grove form, what has actually happened underneath the surface is the redwood roots have intertwined with each other. So if one tree is going to fall, all the other trees have to be taken down with it. There's something incredible. You see, for a redwood to grow up, its roots have to have other redwoods around it to help anchor it down. And this is exactly what's playing out in this passage. And that Paul says to him, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He's saying to Timothy, he's reminding Timothy of a moment when Timothy was surrounded by a group of people who saw something in him, who believed in him, who championed him, and who literally put their hands on him to, to pray and to say to him, Timothy, God's given you a gift. You're a leader. You see, we're a lot like redwoods. Our capacity to grow up is directly tied to who we have around us. If you want to be a redwood and you want to be a faithful person, then you can't do it alone, and you can't do it isolated. You have to be surrounded by others who keep you grounded so that you can grow up even higher into that calling God has for you. Timothy had that. I've had that in my life, and if I sat down with you right now and I'd listen to your story, I imagine in almost every story of greatness and almost every story of you moving further and fuller into an area of your life, you probably had someone around you who gave you wisdom, who gave you insight, who gave you encouragement and said things to you that you needed said to you. I am on this stage today, honestly, because of someone in my life almost 20 years ago. And anything that I see in the next 40 years of my life will be directly connected to him in my life 20 years ago. And so 
it's been one of the burdens I've had over this past year with us not being physically able to meet. And that's why I'm so excited that we're moving towards returning to weekly services because I recognize for us, if we're going to experience the life God has for us, if we're going to be people who are faithful regardless of how empty our world is, it's probably because we're surrounded by others who help keep us grounded and help point us to the truth and help us grow up even stronger, closer to what God has for us. And so... Part of my intentionality, even through this last year of reimagining and and dreaming about what this church could look like, really came out of what Paul said in that final statement when he says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That over this last year, just imagining being spiritually, physically distant from one another and watching what everything's been happening in the course of uh, just our culture and our country and within the church and, you know, just watching people move away. One of the things that God has done in my own personal life is really kind of help me overcome some timidity, which is a fancy way of saying fear. But there have been peaks through this storyline of this past year where I've just felt overwhelmed. And there's been a small group of people behind the scenes that have kept this church going. Many of them, you don't even know their names. They're the people who right now are sitting in different rooms who are are allowing this stream to even happen in the first place. And the idea of God, um, how do we return from online to go back to on site? Well, right now there's such a small team. God, our team has to grow so much larger. For us to be able to, to and, and I can honestly say there have been points in this thing where I've felt so much fear. I've been so overwhelmed. I've been tempted to wave a white flag. And what God has done over and over in my own personal life, as I've prayed and dreamed and imagined, is start to, to re-kind of do something inside of me. See, I allowed the fear in me to prevent me from fanning into flame the gift of God that is within me. And over this past summer, one of the things that's been really fun for me is just intentionally watching God, being reminded of God, giving a God who gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And I've thought about this fan into flame, the gift of God, and I just it, it went beyond just me and my prayers, it turned to you and what God could do through your life. And I've said this a couple times in a different way, but I desperately want for all of us to be able to stake a flag, not a white flag, but a victory flag in faith of what's going to come for us to be able to put it in this moment and say, you know what, there's a dividing line in my life, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, that on the other side of that pandemic, God did something extraordinary through me. God grew me into the father I always wanted to be. God grew me into the generous person I always said I knew I should have been. God grew me into that faith-filled person who had hope and courage and peace and joy and love and passion, even in the midst of a world that felt so empty, that God began to do inside of me, God began to stir inside of me a fan, like a flame that grew stronger and brighter, whose light 
permeated every area I went into. People, when they interacted with me, they felt the hope and the joy and the peace. I believe that can be true about you in this next season. I believe this can be true about this church. In our past, we, we have given away hundreds of thousands of dollars to good causes. In our future, we will give away millions of dollars to good causes. We will impact tens of thousands of people for good. We will help people discover life and hope and joy and peace in a way they never comprehended before. We will pioneer new ways of ministry and new ways of hope that I believe this church is standing on the precipice of some of the brightest days we could ever imagine about it. That's why I never waved the white flag. That's why I picked up the victory flag because the spirit that God has given you and me is one of power, love, and self-discipline. It's one that walks into a room that looks like there's been a breakdown and says, oh, but I believe there's a breakdown coming. No, no, there's a breakthrough coming. I believe that power and love and self-discipline allows us to walk into our marriages, our parenting relationships, our, our work vocation spaces and say, no, no, I believe there's something here that God can do in me and through me. Our headlines are constantly reminding us uh, how hopeless this world is, how dark this world is, and I am tired of living in a world that's marked by the headlines of hopelessness and despair. I'm ready to start showing up in places where we rewrite the headlines of love and hope and joy and repair and restoration and justice. And I believe that's who you and I can become in this next season. I wish I had a way of showing you how excited I really am about it because I don't think I can. Because I know for some of you and even for me, I haven't liked who I became in the last year. I haven't liked the fear. I haven't liked the doubt, the insecurity. But what I've really, really been reminded of through this season, is God's not done. And for those who want to lean in and strap into that storyline, I want to say yes to you. Because I believe that some of the best chapters of this church are about to be written. That as our preschool opens in the next few weeks, and the profit of that preschool begins to be channeled even more intentionally, to, to coincide with what you practice through your generosity, that there are storylines in this city that are going to change over the next 10 years. There are churches and campuses and peoples whose lives are going to be forever transformed and started. There are going to be people who break free from addictions, marriages who are restored, and people who discover purpose and discover that God made them on purpose for a purpose. That's why one of the things I did this year in anticipation of what I believe God's going to do and this next year is I've gotten certified in this uh, really unique life planning process. It's a really intensive process. It's a process that will allow me to better lead you as a church. It's a process that I'm convinced if you lean into it and you work it like I have, that you'll discover some of the reasons God created you and that you'll begin to wake up every morning with that purpose in mind and begin to move towards that purpose. And that's an opportunity, that's a process that I've been certified in that I can start to lead us as a church through. And I'm excited towards the end of this year, I'm going to roll that process out and that you're going to discover, hopefully what I've discovered through this, of fanning into flame that gift of God and discovering that God has given us that power, love, and self-discipline for a reason.
that he's prepared good works for you and I to do. But here's the reality. All of the exciting parts of that story, we're not there yet. We're in that part of the story right now that feels scary. It's that part of the hero movie where it looks like the villain has done their best work. And it looks like it's maybe going to break down and it's not going to happen. The good guys are going to lose. That's where we are right now. And I believe that the way we move from that part of the story into the next part, because there's dreams and there's prayers that I believe God has for this church. I'm not even talking about yet because they would just make you laugh because you would think there's no way. But the way we get to that part is the way you lean in in this part. We don't go there unless you step in here. Not just physically step into here. I mean step into this part of the storyline. The reason I know that is because the reason Encounter Church has existed this past year and the reason we've been able to do what we've done and hand-delivering boxes for your kids is because people, not one or two people, but groups of people, people who aren't paid by the church, people who don't feel super spiritual, but people, regular, normal people, who said, I think God can use me, and I'm going to show up and step up. And in the process, we've seen God do what he's done this past year. And the same principle is going to be at work in the next year too. And so I want to say to you, yes, you, not the person beside you, not the you you normally think I'm talking to when I say the word you, but you. You with all of your uncertainties, you with all of your insecurities, you with all of your abilities and passions and question marks and all the reasons, yep, you with all the reasons that you could never be used by God. I want to invite you to step in, to lean in. And here's the thing, just for the next 60 days, if this church has meant something to you, and a year or two years from now, you want to look back and say, the reason that church is the reason that church is today is because I said yes a year ago to them. And so I want to invite you, ask you, call you to step in for the next 60 days and help us charge the hill. Help us to kind of have our brave heart like freedom moment as we run to the top. Because I think in the next 60 days is the most important 60 days of this church's history. And that what we do in the next 60 days has the potential to determine what happens in the next 60 years. That's not dramatic. That's just true. And so here's how you can step in. If you've never served, I want to ask you to consider serving. Serving may be pouring a cup of coffee. Serving may be showing up 45 minutes early and putting out cones and helping set up. Serving may be staying a little bit right after and helping us clean up or serving may look like um, getting in the room and playing with kids and praying for kids or greeting people at the door or holding the door for someone when they walk in or learning how to run a piece of equipment or potentially even showing us you have this musical ability that you've been sitting on and actually try out for the team to be on the stage. That 
for you to step in could look like you saying yes to serving in this church an hour or two hours a month. Serving isn't the only way you can lean in. That if this church has made a difference, made a difference for you, I want to encourage you, maybe what it looks like to lean in over the next 60, 60 days is to practice generosity. Here's a crazy question for you. Let's imagine you gave to the church what you thought the church has given to you and your family. Okay? I'm just saying, for the next 60 days, what if that's the way you thought about church? What if you treated the church the way you would treat any other place you attended? And you gave to them what you felt like God has given to you through the church. I say that because most of us don't need that. Don't need to think about it that way. But sometimes I wonder if we assume in so many other ways that the reason the church exists is that there's some other person somewhere doing something, there's some other person somewhere giving something, and so because of them, that kind of vague them out there, that we feel like, well, we're not needed. And I want you to hear that we need you. That we're in that place the day before the great storyline breaks through. And I believe that God wants to do something extraordinary, amazing, above and beyond what we could ask or even imagine here at Encounter Church. And it's only going to happen because of you and you leaning in. And just saying yes for the next 60 days, whether that's through EncounterChurch.com forward slash serve or whether that's through EncounterChurch.com forward slash give. And I believe in the next 60 days, in the next 600 days, we're going to see God do immeasurably more. And that ultimately, that I want us in this next season of life to begin to move towards people who have power, love, and self-discipline, who see that transformational power working out in their life. And just in case you think there's no way this next season can be even better, I just want to remind you what C.S. Lewis said, something I quoted at the very beginning of the series that you can't go back and change the beginning. But you can start where you are and change the ending. You're not dead. God's not done. You're not dead. God's not done. And what God wants to do through you is so much better than what you've already done through you. And I want us as a church to live our lives in such a way that we get to the end of our lives and we stand at all of what God has done through us. And my promise to you is that as you lean in, we want to help you grow. We want to help you discover that purpose and walk with that power. That's why in the next few months, from a parenting series, I'm really excited about October to kind of a people skill series to the life planning process that we're going to be rolling out to spiritual kind of formation classes that we have for you. I think the best days for you and for us are ahead of us, not behind us. And it's because of Jesus, the gift of God, and you leaning in to fan into flame that gift. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity just to gather online this morning and to imagine what God could do and to imagine how God could use us And God, I pray in anticipation of the next 60 days 
that we would respond and say yes. That we would respond and, and begin to lean in more than we've ever leaned in more before. Believing that God wants to do something through us. What God wants to do for us. And that we wouldn't get caught up of this is just the church trying to get something from me. But that we would begin to reimagine our lives the way that Paul challenged Timothy to reimagine his. To see God do immeasurably more. To see God use Timothy even more than how he'd used him before. And thank you, because of you, Jesus, that you give us hope in life. And thank you in advance for the stories of life change, for the stories of what you want to do in us, through us, around us, in our homes, in our lives, in our workplaces and spaces, in our, the ball fields that we'll be returning to, in the classrooms that we'll be engaging with, in all of those areas. May we be the light and that flame, reflecting that gift of God through you, Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for allowing me to kind of lean in and just kind of unpack some of the things I've been praying for. And thank you in advance for the way you're going to say yes to God and the way God's going to use you. So look forward to seeing you back here next Sunday and the Sundays after that at 1030 a.m. at 18 Southwest Park. God bless you. See you next week.